0: 2 Corinthians chapter one verses fifteen through chapter two verse four as the focus of what we're looking at in the Word of God 2 Corinthians one fifteen through two four don't panic we're just going to cover seventeen and eighteen let's uh pray for him to help us to hear. And then read his word, Father, we draw upon you, the author of truth, and Father, may we have ears to hear, may we have eyes to see, and may our souls be laid open to receiving you and the power of your spirit through the amazement of your word. Father, help us in this day, in this age, at this time, to walk worthy. To walk in exaltation of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us to hear, Lord. Help us to bow before your word with an eagerness and an expectation. Help us, Lord, to manifest your glory to a lost and dying world. Amen. Beginning in verse 15. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what purpose do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time. But God is faithful. Our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached to you by us, by me, and Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, But yes, in him for as many as are the promises of God in him, they are. Yes, therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us in God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. But I call God as a witness to my soul that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth, not that we lorded over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. But I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again, for if I cause you sorrow, Who then makes me glad but the one who I made sorrowful? This is the very thing I wrote you, so that when I came, I would not have sorrow for those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you, all that my joy would be the joy of you all. For how much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, Not so that you would be made sorrowful, but you might know the love which I have especially for you. What we're looking at in this section, um, and and, and you kind of got to keep it there where it says in this confidence. What was the confidence? Clear conscience. My conscience is fine. My conscience before God is fine of the things that I have said, of the things that I have done, whether in your presence or whether or not in your presence. Even if people who've bumped into me in other places in, in Greece, hey, I acted the same there as I did when I was in Corinth. All right, so in this confidence, he says, I did intend to come to you. Now, here's one of the things that I've learned the hard way. If you stand on truth... If you teach truth, if you allow truth to be the single focus of your life, you will be attacked. I guarantee it. History proves it. My life proves it. The apostle Paul proves it. Peter proves it. And he who is truth incarnate proves it. And so when we think about the word of God and we think about sharing, uh, you know, we have a misconception in our lives today. You know, I I read that in one of the letters from our missionaries that, you know, we share the truth and there's just not that many people listening. Why? Because they get wrapped up. Uh, I know a Russian pastor up in Denver and we have a very large Russian population in Denver, in the Denver area, about 80,000 Okay, when you look at uh, the north and Aurora and Denver and down south in Englewood. Um, but we have this large population. And he says if he doesn't get to the new immigrants within six months, it is absolutely useless. They will not hear what he has to say. And the reason is, is that they start acting like Americans. And all of a sudden, what becomes important Stuff. Stuff. Success. All right? And, and that, then what will happen is if you continue to stand on that truth, you will be atal- assaulted. You will uh, have accusations come against you. You will have charges come against you. And what will happen is if they can't find anything in your doctrine, if they can't find any open sin in your life where they can you know, see it and point it out, they're going to attack you. And what they will do is the same thing that they do with the Apostle Paul. Let's attack his integrity, because if I can make you not trust his character, then you won't trust his message. Now, this would have been extremely difficult for the Apostle Paul, because he didn't have a New Testament. He was in the process of writing it. All right? And, and so, but, you know, with me... I just say, and where is that in the Bible? And how does it look compared to the light of Scripture? All right, so when you have this, you you struggle with it, and and, and yet uh, the attacks will come. You stand in truth, it will come. Um, One of the phenomenons that is in Russia um, is uh, they're trying to industrialize. All right, but you've got seventy years, uh, and, and I I don't know how else to say this, but you have seventy years that it was like a union shop. Okay, I, and I don't everybody makes the same except for the politicians. All right, and if there was a raise, everybody got the same raise, and 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 what happens is you take the productivity out, and it becomes. Nonproductive. I mean, the the Soviet Union, the socialism collapsed because of man's fallen nature. Why? If you're busting your butt to try to produce and you're going to make the same amount of money as I am and I'm not going to do anything. At some point in time. You're going to act just like me. And we ain't going to do nothing. Why? We'll just stand here. Why? I'm going to cash, cash my check. And what happens is, is that now that they have this freedom, they had a lot of problems because when they would say, okay, you want to buy this industry, to say we're going to make spoons. You, you want to make spoons and you would hire a labor force who believed the same way. I'm just going to stand here and collect my check. Well, if I went out and bought this factory, I need to produce, all right, so that I will generate income so I can produce more. You just can't have a whole bunch of people standing around. And what they learned was, is that if you hire Christians, even if you have to train them, they are doing everything unto their God as if they are working for their God, and they are amazingly productive. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. All right? So the big thing in Russia right now is to hire Christians. Even if you have to train them. You know, they don't know how to do this, but we'll train them. Why? Because they will do it as unto the Lord. Okay. when I read this text here, I see my brother Paul and I see the heart of God's pastor. All right, because I I deal with pastors, I deal with a lot of pastors and I, I know what they all say. But I also know what they do. All right. See, see, the pastor has, has this funny thing that goes on with it. They believe that the internet is good because they can get their message out. The problem is, is now you have it on recording. Okay. Now there is a digital record of what you said. All right. And, you know, I've never had it come back to haunt me, but I do know some pastors that it has come back to haunt. Alright, and uh and I pray that it never comes back to haunt me, but that's another story. Uh but but when I, I look at this, there's not a pastor in any pulpit will tell you that he's in, in this position because it's a job. This is my vocation. There's not a pastor out there that'll tell you that. Okay. But there's a tragedy if you watch them and what they're doing. That sure is what it seems like they're doing. is that it's a job. Um, And and when I... I, You know, and you guys have heard me say this. If you get the privilege of investing in one soul, one time, for all eternity, do you know that you have just done something that no other human being may get to do? But see, we have it in our mindset that what? I'm going to prepare. I want... People, people, I mean, go find out, you know, I heard a guy this week make a statement. God's, God will build the church and the abode of the dead won't stop it. The gates of hell won't stop it. Okay, okay, I'll I'll buy that. And and he went through five things that he, he said, this is what God says about the church. And one that he made a comment on that I know he doesn't get it is that God wants the church to grow. Okay. All right. I know what that means to most pastors. All right. But see, when I look at it from this perspective, I will build my church. Right? I will build my church. That's what Jesus says. You know what that means? Not my job, man. It's not. I know. Yeah, you might want to think I should, but I, I I don't. But I do know this. When I look at gates, gates are defensive. You know what that means? The church is offensive. Alright? and to grow the church means what? I shared that with you last week, Colossians chapter one verses 28 and 29. To present every man complete in Christ—that's a strong church. See, it's easy to get frustrated over numbers. You know, I, I can—I can look at it with whoever's brilliant idea it was to put the giving and the budget in the bulletin side. He just. You know, I'm having a great day hanging out in the heavenlies. And I look at that and go, sheesh. <laughs> you know, and I don't, somebody's out there trying to steal my joy. <laughs> but, uh, and then knock out my window. No, but when I, I look at the apostle Paul, I see the heart of a pastor. Because the heart of a pastor says, I have but one purpose. And that is to be involved with the direction of the eternal destiny of a person or people, that's it. that's it. Let me show you a text. first two letters written in the New Testament, okay First and second Thessalonians All right First Thessalonians chapter. Three verses one through three says this. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. Now, Athens is not a place you want to be left alone. OK, it's a nasty place. But he says that I felt better be left alone there. All right. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Okay. Now, the the church in Thessalonica is an amazing place because Paul was there a very short time. And as usual, he started out, he preached. He went to the synagogue, and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he got away with it for, we know, three Sabbaths. And then after that, it was Katie Bar the door. All right, now someone in a foreign country will hear that term on the Internet and go, what? I thought he was talking about Paul. But um, it, it went downhill. They actually took Jason, one of the new converts... Okay, and they threatened to kill him if Paul and his group didn't leave. I believe that Paul was there probably a very short time, probably three months. But in three months' time, he he got the head rabbi at the synagogue saved twice. Huh? No, he didn't save him twice. They brought in a new one and threw the old one out, and he got saved too. So synagogue was like, I'm telling you, this is getting to be a pain here. We're trying to find somebody who wants a vocation. No. what happened is this church received the gospel and the Apostle Paul, as a pastor, his heart was so much with the saints of God that he had gone down. He, he left Thessalonica. He goes to Berea. It's about 50 miles west of Thessalonica. The The leaders of the synagogue at Thessalonica track him down in Berea and run him out of Berea. So he ends up down in Athens and that's where he... <laughs> It shows the wisdom of men. Um, They were non-receptive in Athens to the gospel, but his heart was so troubled over what had happened in Thessalonica, he sent Silas, actually Silas and Timothy, back to Thessalonica to find out what had happened. And it was miraculous what had been going on. But that set the stage for what his heart is, and his heart comes out of chapter 2, Verse 5 and following. He says this. We never came with flattering speech as you know. You know what that is? I didn't come blowing sunshine at you. Did you know that you was created in God's image and he loves you? Okay. That's what he's saying. I didn't come with flattering speech as you know. Nor with a pretext for greed. Greed. You know, I'm not doing this to see if I can increase the offering. God is witness. Nor did we seek the glory of men either. We're not doing this for how many attaboys or how many books I can publish or maybe I can get a television ministry. Either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. Okay, But we prove to be gentle among you. Okay. Then he gives you a picture. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Dude, that there is, is, is a definite picture of gentleness, don't you think? So when the Apostle Paul looked at the church in Thessalonica, even though he was there, but it was just a short time. His heart for them was that of a nursing mother. Having so fond of affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship... How working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Drop down there, verse 11. Just as you know, we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. That is so cool. He's showing the picture of a pastor's heart. Why? They are as gentle as a nursing mother, but, you know, I've heard this. Uh, you hear he says, well, this pastor here, uh, he's more on the gracious side. You know what that means? I've seen them. They're spineless. That's what they are. Well, they don't take a stand on nothing. And you know what? They don't even call it sin. They say, well, he's just morally challenged. Okay? But see, if you look at a true pastor, there is the gentleness that is there. But he says, were we not also, what? Exhorting? You know what exhorting means? You know what that? My dad used to exhort me. And what it was is he would come up behind me and he'd put his arm around me and he'd grab me right by that tendon that runs from your neck down to your shoulder and I got exhorted. It's one of those, walk with me, boy. That's exhorting. You know what? I'm going to come alongside. And I'm going to say, now let me explain this to you. You continue down this path. This is the disaster that you're going to face. That's exhorting. Well, that don't sound gentle. It is if you're concerned. That, you know, the bridge is out, and I'd really prefer that you not drive off the broken bridge. Okay, but exhorting also says, see ya. (laughs) This is going to hurt you more than it will me. (laughs) Okay, but look what else he says here. He says, exhorting and encouraging. Okay, see, exhorting says, you know what, you keep going down this path, let me encourage you a different way. Let's try a different direction here. All right, and imploring, you know what that is? (laughs) As he grabs him by the ears and says, "I am talking to you." Why? Because if you think about it, when God designed the family, who does the discipline? The father. The father's supposed to do it. And part of it is I'm going to exhort you, but I'm going to encourage you, and I'll grab you by the ears and get your undivided attention if I've got to. I like that. Because, see, that's the heart of a pastor. That's when you see God's man at action. Why? Because the heart of a pastor, it has the gentleness of a nursing mother, but also the father's view that says that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And sometimes that's offensive. Offensive. Back to our text in 2 Corinthians, you see here, I've got seven things that I see here speaking of God's pastors, and it basically is hard. And last week we looked at, he's loyal. He's loyal. Now, and you need to understand, this church in Corinth was a proverbial spiritual pain in Paul's hibiscus. Get that translated in Russian, see what you get. (laughs) Is that like a crocus? (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Okay, but do you see, these people, most of the grief he was going through was because of their existence. And yet he's saying, hey, I want to come to you. I want to be with you. See, it's easy to, to, to see a pastor's heart when it ain't easy. Hey, so I've used the illustration, uh, the spiritual porcupines. Cute as a button, but God don't touch them. Right? I mean, you just look at them, and there are a whole bunch in the body of Christ today that are spiritual porcupines. They're just cute as can be, and you're like, God, I hope I don't walk over here. And that's what they're doing. This church was breaking his heart. And he was going through stuff. Everywhere he went, people were attacking him. And then he gets the reports of what's going on in this church that meant so much to him, was so dear to him. This pastor's heart, I mean, I I struggle with it because these people were coming against him. They were attacking him. Look at verse 17. Well, I was not vacillating. You know what that implication is? Somebody said he was vacillating. He had planned to come to them. I believe that between the severe letter and 2 Corinthians, he did make a quick trip to them. But Paul had appealed to the highest level of accountability, which was his own conscience. And he says, you know what? My conscience is clear. My conscience stands in holiness. My conscience stands in godly sincerity. See, that should be the attitude of the pastorate, of the pastor. His heart was acting out in front of these people. I mean, he's already dealt with comfort. You know, the affliction and the horror and the heartache that I am going through, the emotional distress I'm going through for you. And it's funny because in that text, the heartache and the emotional distress is coming from them. There's nothing worse that I can think of than someone that you have poured your life into, that you have prayed with, and you have maybe even fought a good fight with, and to have them walk away. That's awful. I've had that happen before, to see them walk away from the faith. But the only thing that's worse than that is to have them walk away and accuse you. Accuse you. But he was loyal. He's already said it. Verse 15 and 16. I was going to come back to you. I wanted to come back to you. I wanted to come twice to you. To help you. You'd be a blessing. And then I'd be a blessing. Verse 17 says that there's a specific accusation of vacillation. And this vacillation was based on the fact, you know, he said he was going to come back to us and he didn't come. He said in the original letter, First Thessalonians or First Corinthians, he was going to come back after Macedonia. He was going to go up north through Macedonia through Thessalonica, Berea, and all of Philippi and all of those, and then drop back down to Corinth. But he says, You know what, because of my love for you, what I'm going to do now is that I want to go to Macedonia by way of Corinth. And then on my way back out of Macedonia, I'll come back through Corinth. And he says, and it just hasn't come together yet. He says, I'm not vacillating. See, uh, the word there, vacillating, in the New American Standard Translation, uh, has to do with being fickled. Uh, an unstable person who can't be trusted. Paul says, oh, I wasn't vacillating. When I intended to do this, I just made these plans. It is incredible to Paul, the way this text is written, it is incredible to Paul that some people would actually believe that a change of plans reflects a lack of character or dishonesty. Last Sunday, I told you that I was going to go down to this conference on mysticism in the church on Friday night, but Saturday I probably wouldn't be able to do it because I've got some other things going on. This Sunday I told you that I will be there for both sessions. Ah, he is vacillating and fickled. I don't think he can be trusted. See, Paul understood that the attack had nothing to do with whether he was being able to fulfill his day planner. The attack was there to discredit him. Let me get his character let me perhaps show you that he is dishonest by the way the two visits that he had planned to make that he intended to make eventually became one very long visit okay first uh, corinthians sixteen seven he'd already said that he didn't want to just come and pass. And I do not want to just see you now just in passing for. I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits, but I must remain on in Ephesus till after Pentecost. He wanted to spend time with these precious saints, not passing. He wanted to be there to encourage. He wanted to be there to exhort. He wanted to be there to, implore them see if he spends some time with them then he'll discredit what the false apostles and the false teachers were saying about him why are people like that they're still like that some they look for any small way that they can mount a case against a man um, you know, I, I brought this to the attention a few, maybe it's uh, Wednesday night. Uh, a few years ago, Dr. MacArthur was in for a pastor's appreciation breakfast thing. And it was up in uh, toward Boulder. And uh, when we pulled in to to this, it was at a hotel thing. When we pulled in, there was all these abortion protesters out front. And, and, I, and I, you know, with the, the gory signs and and all the rest of it and i thought what you know i wonder what these are out here you know these are pastors i mean, ain't we like on the same side and all of a sudden you go around the corner and there's this great big banner that says john MacArthur is pro-abortion and i'm sitting there going what <laughs> huh Must he got like a twin brother like an evil twin but I know what, what, what the problem was, MacArthur said, "In this country today, abortion is legal. I'm not going to protest out in front, nor am I going to tell people to protest out in front. Why? It is the law of the land, And therefore they took that to me. Well, Paul, that means he's just pro-abortion. Well, that's silly. It's like when I was teaching on spiritual gifts, I went back through and listened. Every message I said, I believe in spiritual gifts. And I start the message. Next week, like, I believe in spiritual gifts. And I start the message. And I got people who left the church and telling people around the neighborhood that Terry doesn't believe in spiritual gifts. And I'm sitting there going, uh, huh. Cause you know, I got confused because I, I wanted to emphasize that when I was teaching on spiritual gifts. That I believe in spiritual gifts. So I went back and listened to my messages. Yep, sure enough, right there it says, I believe spiritual gifts. And I said, they're going, how in the world do you walk out of here and say, well, he doesn't believe spiritual gifts. <laughs> but you get that. I mean, John MacArthur pro-abortion? Excuse me? But I see it today that and Paul... Paul fought it we will fight it until the church is won in glory people were teaching that Paul is an opportunist came out of the pharisaical teaching grabbed hold of this grace thing why? because you know pharisees were exalted men of God came out of the pharisees hey he's teaching grace now why? gets a bigger crowd get more money He uses a phrasing here. I was not vacillated when I intended to do this, was I? Okay, um, it's a phrase, metiara is, is the phrase in the original language. And is used to introduce a question, metiara. But it's used to start this question, to introduce this question that is calling for an indignant negative answer okay it's it's a it's a it's a manner that the greek language uses and the question was am i vacillating when i intended to do this and the, the the implied answer is are you out of your mind no way impossible and and, and then he throws it in here in verse 17 or what i Purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? And that's a fascinating way he does it. He says, Am I like an unregenerate person? Just operating like lost people. That, that's how my ministry is effective. See, when I watch the flesh, Here's a key to it that I I see, especially from the pastorate. And and, and I just phrase it this way. Doing what is best for me. You know, I've had guys set in pastor's conference before that says they're just doing their time in the churches in Colorado so that they can get an opening in Texas because Texas pays better. I watch people make a plan and in a very short time, change the plan. Uh, I, I've heard, I don't know how many different pastors say, I want you to know, Pastor Terry, I'm the senior guy in Castle Rock. Uh, I want you to know that I am here to fight for the souls of Castle Rock. And as soon as I hear that, start the clock. <laughs> Boy, there's history. Okay? And it, it's come true every time. Every time I hear somebody say that, uh, within 12 months, they're gone. And they changed the plan. Why? I tell everybody, this is not a place for the faint of heart. If you think you're going to build a mega church here, based on truth, <laughs> you're out of your mind. Out of your mind. It'll never happen. Now, if you want to base it on entertainment, you'll, you'll get a something. You'll get something. What's the difference? That's what Paul is saying. What's the difference between me and a person who's in the flesh? Am I looking at this what pleases me? Listen, if Paul wanted pleasure with the Corinthian church, he would excommunicate them. I do not want no communication about you. And if I run into somebody from your church, I'm going to go, I don't want to talk to you. No, 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 no. So you're going to do. Why? Because there is not a lot of pleasure there. Although after the severe letter that we don't have, there was some changing of direction in many of the people. Don't you know me as a man who operates in the spirit? That's basically what he's saying. Because he offers it up with that phrase. And the way of that phrasing says that this has to have a, a, a definite negative answer to it. Verse 17, he says, Here's what the flesh does. Now, he does this. This is, uh, what do they call that thing? Not entomology. Ain't entomology bugs? Huh? What is it with the words? Huh? Etymology. 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 That's the one I'm looking for. Okay. Of the Greek language. When you see yes, yes, no, no. Okay. That has to do with uh, a fervency. Okay. And what he's saying is, those that are in the flesh are fervent in their yes, yes. At the same time, no, no. They have a fervency there uh, that my grandma used to call speaking out of both sides of their mouth. I won't tell you what my grandpa called it. (laughs) Okay? And, and, And they duplicate it It strengthens the picture of the intensity of the dishonesty. Okay? Yeah, yeah! No, no! Same person, same situation, same teaching has a fervent lack of fervency. (laughs) They will affirm and deny at the same time. I remember a president or so ago who used to speak and contradict himself right in the middle of a paragraph, and everybody would say how great it was. And I'm sitting there going, Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I'm not a speechwriter, but I think somebody screwed that up <laughs> because she's agreeing and disagreeing at the same time, and everybody's. <laughs> and I'm like. Huh. I tried that one time with my mom. (laughs) She broke me of that. (laughs) You ain't doing that. Paul says, Am I that kind of person? Am I a vacillating person who doesn't do what he says he's going to do? Am I someone operating out of the flesh? Talking out of both sides of my mouth like lost people? Is that the man you know me to be? Look what he says, verse 18. God is faithful. Our word too is not yes and no. Okay. Um, Am I so dishonest? The answer is no. Verse 18. Okay. Okay. As God is faithful, as God is trustworthy, it's pistas. Okay? When you think about faith, you ask your, all you have to do is put, you can put trust in it. Okay? Saving faith in Jesus Christ. I have a saving trust in Jesus Christ. Is God faithful? Is God trustworthy? And that's what he's saying here. Is not God faithful, trustworthy? Okay, now, as I went through this, a lot of um, commentators and a lot of um, men of the exegetic uh, standard believe that this is an oath, that Paul is making an oath, calling God to give testimony to what I say. Um, he does that, um, it, that's possible. I ain't here to argue over whether this is an oath or not. Romans chapter 1, verse 9, he takes an oath before God. Galatians chapter 1, verse 20, he takes an oath before God. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 10 and verse 31, he takes an oath before God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, he takes an oath before God. And we read one that just a minute ago in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 10. He takes an oath before God. And he does this when he wants to stress something as true. Okay, so, I mean, he does it and he's done it before. Now, a little footnote on this. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, people freak out and says, Jesus says, don't take an oath. Let your yes be a yes and your no. Be a no, don't swear on the temple, don't swear by heaven, and, and don't do that. Um, well, that's another one of those that did you read the context? Because he's not forbidden taking an oath. But he is forbidding improper oaths, Okay, ungodly oaths, or deceptive oaths. you know those people who swear with the finger crossed? Oh, it's this way, isn't it? All right, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? And that's what he's talking about. You know, I'll take an oath by the gold of the temple. What will it cost you if you lie? Nothing. All right. Um, And along that same line, if you look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, verse 63. You will find that Jesus himself took an oath. No, not before God. Before the high priest. So um, perhaps the Apostle Paul is bringing the testimony of the Lord into bear on what he has just said. I don't think so. And the reason is uh, what he's already talked about his conscience in verses 12 through 14. Uh, I'm thinking that he's pretty much got... The confidence is kind of there. You know, my conscience bears testimony in holiness and godly sincerity. I'm thinking, do you really need an oath? Um, I think he's referring to the fact, okay, God is faithful. Amen? Amen. And those who would represent God will also be faithful. Now, think about it. Pistos. If God is trustworthy, then those who represent God, do you trust God? Do you trust His servants? I think that's what he's saying. When God speaks... His word is true. When I speak, mine is also. I think that's what he's saying. Our word to you is not yes and no at the same time. I'm not dishonest. Verse 19, he says, even Timothy and Silas said the same. Our message hasn't changed. There's no vacillation here there's no deception here my word to you is as true as God's word so now you're seeing he he showed us last week his loyalty because you know his loyalty to these people the way they were treating him why would you ever want to go back there but he wanted to go back there that's his loyalty But now he's saying, my honesty is only that of the honesty of God. My word to you is as true as God's word. God is trustworthy. I am his spokesman. I am trustworthy. No matter what the plans might be, no matter how the plans may change. You can trust my loyalty and you can trust my honesty. See, that's why I said in this phrasing of this text, you're seeing the heart of God's pastor. Of God's pastor. I, you know, it, it's and I'll close with this illustration. This week, Wednesday's paper had a front page was Ted Haggard. Okay. Okay. And um, and it was a, a several-page article on uh, Ted. And yet the whole article was bashing the church and the way the church treated him. Had the elders of the church perhaps intervened sooner, this wouldn't happen. Perhaps if uh, they... He, he, one of the phrases that stuck out in my head is that uh, through this ordeal, he called it, He said he had lost people are treating him more graciously and kinder than believers. Okay. You know what I don't see there? I don't see any honesty. Do I even need to touch loyalty? You see what I mean? Yeah, there's no there's nothing there. But I, I share that with you because this guy's front page. And I'm and there's this huge article. And and I look at that and I think that is not the heart of God's pastors. Okay? Apostle Paul is the heart of God's pastor. Do you want to see God's pastor? Look at Paul. You really want to see it? Study for yourself. First three chapters. of First Thessalonians. I'd freak you out. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your faithfulness that you. You are so trustworthy. Father, I thank you for the men and women that you bring to the body. Who truly know you. Who truly long for truth. Who truly. Are eager. To be set free from their sin. Father I thank you for my brother Paul. His loyalty. To the bride of Christ. Father his honesty. before the people of God. Father may we. We were called by your name be known in the same way. Thank you, Father, for your love, your mercy, and those people that you put in our lives that shepherd us, serve us, and set the path before us that we, each of us, would walk worthy. Of your calling. In Christ's name. Amen.